Okay, are you sitting comfortably? Then I shall begin. So I tell you what I love. I love many things. I love questions. I love thought-provoking questions. I'm convinced that that starting, that the starting point on the road to success is asking the right questions. I love asking, I love asking the why questions. I love asking the, the what if questions. And then that probably leads into the, the how questions. So our series here, as you can tell from the screen, is, is entitled Kingdom Culture. Here are the questions that ignite this series. Four questions. Question number one is, is if the barn is like a greenhouse, you, you might need to go back and listen to the last two messages, but if the barn is like a greenhouse, what environmental conditions do we have to create to harvest our dream? It's a good question. Question number two, even better, what could church look like? I mean, you could put the question mark there. What could church look like if we fully embrace Jesus' kingdom culture? I don't know about you, I find that to be a tantalising question. Question three then, then flying from there is, is what are the key elements of that culture? And we're going to be working our way through these over the next few weeks. And then finally, question four, how do we work those key elements into our culture here at the barn? So we have, over a period of time, we've quite intentionally been working to to craft a certain culture here at the barn. And you'll notice a couple of banners here at the front, our, our mission statement and our vision statement. They're, they're not there by accident. So as I said, we, we, we're constantly working on and trying to cultivate that, that soil, trying to create the right atmosphere. If you think about that greenhouse, if you want to grow a certain crop, you've got to create certain atmospheric conditions in there. For sure, in this place, we, we, we know we haven't arrived yet. We know we haven't quite created the culture here that, that we're aiming for. But, but I'm convinced that, that, that if we prepare the right soil, there is no limit to what God can do in and through this church. There's no limit to what God can do in and through you and your life and your ministry. So the task of the series is to work our way through the characteristics of the kingdom culture that we long to see. If I'm honest, I've started this slowly and gently. We're in the early stages. This is going to heat up as the series, a bit like England, Scotland. As as the game goes on, this is definitely going to to heat up. Today, the the message is, is called Positively Positive. And I want to talk to you about a culture of positivity. From, from time to time, I refer to a little document that, that's available at the back there that's called The Barn in a Bottle. And it was my attempt one rainy day to, to try and put into words the DNA, if you like, of our church. And the, I think that the first two statements in there 
refer directly to this. And statement number one is, is, is high expectations of what God can do in and through the local church. Oh, I don't know what your expectations like. They may have been trampled on and beaten up over the years, but I tell you what, I still have a very, very high expectation of what God can do in and through the local church. That is plan A for this world, and there is no plan B. And number two, which kind of ties in with that, is, is creating a church environment that is alive everywhere. Why? Because you know what the alternative to alive is? Yes, who, who wants that? I, I was once asked by a couple of, of student trainee church leaders, and I can't remember exactly how the, they phrased the question, but it was something on the lines of, what would you say was, was, your, was your key to, to the success you've had here at the barn? To which I'd say, first of all, I don't know about you, I'm a little wary of the word success. Personally, I still think that success is a little bit of a way down the line from where we are. But as I was given that question, I felt obliged to answer it. And you know what my answer was? Pretty simply, what what we try to do around here is we've tried to set the bar really high. Just go for it. You know, it's a simple philosophy. If you aim for the stars... Even if you only reach the moon, you've got an awful lot further than most other people. Plus, I would say, has anyone else noticed the God that we serve? Where are God's limits? What's beyond his power? What's beyond his ability and his reach? And if that's the case, why shouldn't we set the bar, really high, and go for it. So out of that idea comes the, the sense that our, that our culture should be positive, it should be expectant, it should be optimistic, it should be faith-filled, it should be alive. Do you know what? Forgive me. I'd like our culture around here to be annoyingly positive. Why are they so irritatingly joyful there at the barn? Why are they always talking possibilities? Why are they sickeningly optimistic all the time? They're so peaceful. Are they oblivious to the world's problems? Are their heads in the clouds? To which quite deeply I would say, yes, theologically they are. Have you ever been in a negative culture? Now, I realize in a title, sermon titled Positively Positive, it would be kind of upside down to talk about negative, but I've got to set this up, so bear with me just for a minute. We'll be quick. But if you've ever been in a negative culture, have you noticed that it just pulls you down all the time? A negative culture saps you of strength, And it empties you of hope and it attacks and undermines your faith. And that the harsh reality is this. If the greenhouse 
environment or atmosphere is negative, that there will be significant crops that you are therefore unable to grow. In, in fact, it will significantly affect the crops that you're able to grow if your culture is negative. See, certain desirable things just will not grow there. The flip to that is that, that other, perhaps more undesirable things, will. I said, I don't want to spend too much time looking at negatives this morning, but just to say that that if you allow negativity to creep into your culture, into your relationships, into your home, into your thoughts, if you allow that negativity to creep in, there will be consequences. And believe me, none of them are good. See, negativity produces fruit of its own. Negativity produces, firstly, it produces fear and anxiety. You know, what what it does, negativity, is it over-magnifies all the negative possibilities until fear kicks in. Negativity also produces a doubt and disillusionment because it loses sight of who God is and of what he's done. Negativity opens a door to all sorts of undesirable fruit. Things like the critical spirit. Things like gossip. Things like discouragement and dishonour and ingratitude. You may have been in environments like that. And the reason that happens is that negativity filters out all the positive and only dwells on all the perceived Negatives. And ultimately, negativity produces a restlessness and a joylessness and a hopelessness. To which I'd say, no thank you very much. I'll make no apologies. We are going to be positive around here. And if that's annoying... Then, then I apologise for that. Jesus annoyed people all the time. So I'm okay with that. As I said, I don't want to dwell on this too much. What I am going to do is there's a message that I preached a few years ago called Escaping the Pit of Negativity. And, and if you find yourself in that place right now, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Because here's the big idea. The big idea is that church should be different. I know you're thinking, I've been to the barn and believe you me, they're different. Quite right too. Do you know, there are plenty of people out there telling you that you can't. The world is full of naysayers. In in the social media world, everyone is an armchair critic. A discouragement is never in short supply. And the reality is it doesn't take much of that, actually, to drag us down. You know, if you're, if you're self-analytical like me, probably overly so, I say, guys, there's no need to beat me up when I get it wrong, because trust me, I've already done that well and truly myself. 
And do you know what? It's so easy for the world around us to suck us down into a negative spiral. So again, I'd say church should be different. You know, we serve a God who can. We serve a God who does. We serve a God who will. Now we have a Bible full of powerful promises that will apply directly to us. So because of the finished work of the cross, we have been declared victorious and righteous and holy and blessed and favoured and free. Didn't Jesus say, all things are possible to those who believe. And Joe, I want people to leave the barn at midday every Sunday, believing they can. I can have that. I can do that. I can change that. You know, you may have been torn down all week, but I want your conversation in the car on the journey home to be something like this. I'm back, baby. Monday morning, here I come. Mountain, be thou removed. Problems prepare to bite the dust. Don't worry, y'all. I've got this. Isn't that what you talk about in the car on the way home? Sure it is. I tell you what my aim is. My aim is for people to walk out of church two inches taller, half a stone lighter. Amen. Topped up, charged up, and ready to face the world again. Can I have an amen, anyone? Excellent. So for today, three things. Number one, what are the main characteristics of a positive culture? Just quickly. Number two is, what are the red flags? Good news, already covered that. And number three, how do we grow and protect that culture around here? That's the plan. Okay, so main characteristics of a positive culture, three of them. Number one is hopefulness. So I never forget listening to a a podcast delivered by a well-known Christian, very well-known Christian speaker, kind of one of the top ten guys at the time. And the conclusion of the message came down to something like this. You know, life is really tough. And folks, I don't have many answers for you. But thank God, look around the room, we're in this together. To which I thought, wow, thanks. You know, at least when the enemy destroys me, I'll have a hand to hold. I'll have someone else to compare my stories of utter defeat with. Do you know what? This is not the gospel message. Ephesians 1 verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Romans 15 verse 13, may the God of hope, he's the God of hope, I reckon the church should look like a little bit of hope, don't you? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And you know, if you put those three verses together and summarise them, it goes something like this. We have been called to hope so we can overflow with hope. And you know what? It's a living, alive hope. Now, before Christ, it's understandable to be without hope. Paul put it like this in Ephesians 2, verse 12. He said, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You, you were without hope and without God in the world. That, that's where we were. But the good news is in Christ, all that has changed. Christ for you and Christ in you has changed all of that. Colossians 1.27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is that hope? What is that hope? Now we have, we have a hope that God will come through for us because he is our rock and our fortress, our strength and our shield. We have hope that God's grace is sufficient, however weak we may feel. We have hope that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And if you haven't triggered yet, these are all direct quotes, direct promises from Scripture. We, we have hope that, that in all things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We have hope, Romans 8.28, that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We have hope, Jeremiah 29.11, we, we have hope that God has a plan for us and it's a good plan, plan to give us hope, plan to give us a future. And finally, we have hope that there is an inheritance laid aside for us, as we've just read, one that cannot perish or spoil or fade. And do you know what? If all of that is true, shouldn't it show on our faces? Shouldn't it be heard in our conversations? Shouldn't that be informing our decisions? And shouldn't it be strong in our culture? Do you know, in a world dominated by negativity, but by, by doom and gloom, by woe is me, our hopefulness should shine like a beacon. Now, people who walk through these doors should be bowled over by our hopefulness. They really believe that stuff. I, I wish I could be so confident. How are they always so optimistic? And you know, that hope is extremely attractive and compelling to people who don't yet share our faith. Because you know what? That is part of what they are missing, whether they can actually articulate that or not. No wonder the writer of the Hebrews said, Hebrews 10 verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
So characteristic number one is hopefulness. Characteristic number two is expectation. Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more. Say infinitely. You've got to say it right. (laughs) Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me ask you a couple of questions. I love questions. What's your expectation of church? What's your expectation of God? What's your expectation of what we collectively can do in his name? What's your expectation of what you personally can do in his name? And I tell you what, however you answer those questions, you are thinking way too small. Let me read Ephesians 3.20 again in the Amplified, in case you didn't get it the first time round. God is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes or dreams. Subtle, but I suspect you got it. And you know, expectation is critical. Without expectation, you'll tend to settle for mediocre. And our God is not mediocre. But the trouble is, is for many, expectations have been trampled on time and again. We've, we've all been through times of, of discouragement and disappointment and disillusionment. Times when it's felt like that the heavens were like brass that there were passionate promises made from the pulpit, but little to no evidence of any of it. At the times when we prayed for the sick, and they haven't made it. You know, here's the key. I'm confident, and I'm expectant, because, as Paul wrote to Timothy, I know in whom I have believed. I'm confident and expectant because I know what Jesus Christ has done. I'm confident and expectant because I have a Bible stacked full of promises for me. I won't apologize for having unwavering confidence in my Lord and my God. And that should, for us, be a source of unquenchable positivity. I want to say this, there's a considerable difference between expectation and wishful thinking. You know, the Greek word for hope, the little word elpis, literally means confident expectation. And that that confident expectation is not based on unknowns, it's based on knowns. That confident expectation isn't based on whims, or circumstances, or feelings and emotions. That confident expectation is based on the Word of God. That that confident expectation is, is not based on an unfounded optimism. It's based on strong resurrection reality. 
It's time to dream again, church. I told you this message, we're just warming up. Okay? You need to bring your seatbelts and your crash helmets next week. It's time to reawaken our hopes and dreams. You know, we should be a people of confident expectation. And we should come to church expecting God to move. And we shouldn't be so surprised when he does. More of that next week. Number three. Third characteristic is encouragement. Hebrews 10, 23, 24. I've already read the first bit. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Do you know, there's nothing like a dose of discouragement to ruin your day. To shatter your confidence, to drain any remaining emotional strength. Anyone experienced any discouragement this week? Who would prefer their church experience to be an encouraging one? Anyone received so much encouragement this week that you couldn't cope with another word of it? (laughs) Now, I made the, the decision in about July last year that it was finally time for me to quit as Oliver and Joel's cricket coach and to become instead their cheerleader. You know, the the number one, they're 14 and 15, they're good little cricketers, but the, the number one opponent that they face is not their own skill or technique. It's not the scary opposition fast bowlers. You know what, it's their own mental health. And I've, I know it's the buzzword of the day, but, but I've seen that, that constantly being tested and stretched and pummeled. So that re- resulted in a little bit of a job redefinition for me. It was time for me to stop becoming their critic, stop telling them how, them how they could do better, to, to just to start to encourage them and believe in them, to pat them on the back and say, you can do it. You are good. You are great. You can make it. Let's ask questions like this. Who is out there telling you you can? Don't you love those people? I've got a few in my mind. Who's in your corner? Besides your mum. Who is out there who is relentlessly building you up? Here are some very quick facts about encouragement. I preached whole messages on this in the past. Four facts. Number one, encouragement fills you with strength and discouragement drains it. I don't know, for some of you, you you might need to cut off some of the negative voices and find some positive ones to speak into your life. Because encouragement breeds strength. But discouragement drains it from you. Number two, Encouragement can change the atmosphere around you. Did you know that? It's pretty simple, really, when you think about it. Try try encouraging your partner repeatedly 
for a week and see what happens. Watch how much better your work colleagues perform around you if you systematically build them up. And encouragement has the ability to change the atmosphere around you. Sadly, the reverse is also true. Number three, encouragement will open doors for you. I haven't got time to go into this in detail, but this is one of my my current experiments. Do you know what? It really, really, really works. By choosing to encourage, by resisting sending that email into school, or criticising and talking about what's not right in my kids' environments, by choosing to just encourage and encourage and encourage, that has opened several doors for me. I had been invited onto the, after about six months, I was invited onto the parents' forum at school, which is a real honour, to be honest. I've also been invited onto a parents' equivalent parents' forum in the boys' county cricket. Encouragement will open doors for you. By contrast, a, a critical spirit slams doors closed. After all, who's going to willingly invite that in? Number four, encouragement is a great opportunity. Did I say last week I love the word opportunity? You know, we get a better response from people by telling them that they can than by telling them that they're wrong. And the opportunity, for those who listened to Pete Reed a couple of weeks ago, the opportunity is to be the voice of heaven. In a world of discouragement, we have the opportunity to stand apart as a voice of encouragement. And I don't know about you, I'd far rather live in an encouraging culture. For me, I perform so much better there. It gets me out of bed. It puts a pep in my step. It makes me want to go further and quicker and better. What about you? So how do we grow and how do we protect that culture? And How do I complete this message without tripping over on the shoelace that I've just undone? <laughs> These are the key questions of the day. How do we work this? Oh, goodness, I'm going to do it up. Do you mind? <laughs> this could go horribly wrong. I saw a preacher friend of mine, his good friend, he weighed perhaps a little bit more than he should have done by a factor of about three. He had a very nice flash pair of Italian shoes and he broke the heel off as he slipped on the stage and oh goodness, it was ugly. Anyway, you didn't need to know that, but I'm stalling for time while I do my shoelaces up. So how do we grow and protect this, this culture? How do, we, how do we work that soil? How do we turn it and water it and fertilise it? How do we pull up any weeds and thorns? Big question, three quick answers, and then we'll be done. Number one, practice positivity. You know, you can train yourself to be thankful. You can train yourself to be encouraging. You can train yourselves to to look for positive things to praise and check yourself when you're being negative. It may mean some new habits, but trust me, it's well worth it. 
I think I've told the story before, and I'll tell it again, of my, my, my Chinese-Canadian um, friend, Larry Law, who, who sat down at a table once and said, how can you smile all the time? How can you do it? I just said, I trained myself to it in the Chinese culture, you know, very, very straight-faced and serious and all of that kind of thing. And I met him again about three or four years later in London, actually, after I'd come back. And he'd done it. He'd pulled it off. And the, the, fate, the muscles had relaxed and he smiled and was, his whole disposition had changed. And he was, I think he was in his 70s. You know what they say about leopards and spots, don't you? He'd managed to train into himself successfully a new habit. Actually, that was part, part of a whole transformation in his whole life, but that's for another day. Now, you can, you can make the same statement in two different ways, always. You can, you can make it positively and you can make it negatively. I'll give you an example. Statement number one, I really hate it when you criticise me. Statement number two, I really love it when you encourage me. Is, is that not the same statement? Can it not be swung a very different way? If you want to go and play with this, go and this afternoon, take the Ten Commandments. People have done this. Take the Ten Commandments, which all say, don't, 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 and swing them round into statements that say, do, 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 do. It's possible to do that. You can say anything positively if you stop and think about it. It's one of Rick Warren's preaching advice. Any point you make, try and make it positively if you can, and you can. So number one is to practice Positivity. I thought about getting you to dig your partner in the ribs and talk to him about that, but that might be a bit risky. Number two, this is, a, this is key. Don't lose sight of the bigger picture by getting sucked into details. I'll explain what I mean by that. It's so easy to get sucked into a pit or a vortex or a black hole, and lose sight of anything and everything outside of those four walls. I'm going to make a statement at, at huge personal risk. Please forgive me, this is humour. I'm going to give an example of that. How you can get sucked into a black hole and lose all sight of anything else. Ready? Brexit is not Armageddon. Okay? I didn't, that's all I'm saying. Nothing else. Don't allow yourselves to be so transfixed with, with one negative that you lose sight of all the positive. So easy to do this. It's human nature, I think. You know, just because you personally are struggling in one area of your life doesn't mean that God isn't doing, isn't doing great things all around you, in you and through you. Indeed, it's so easy to be transfixed with that one negative thing, get sucked into that vortex. And before we know it, we can't see further and wider than those four walls. You know, here's another statement. I'm expecting inhalation of breath at appropriate moment. Just because your church has a fault, doesn't exclude the great things that God is doing. You know, the enemy operates through exaggeration and distortion and lies. 
You know, he loves warping that sense of perspective. And so the advice for us is to keep your head up and your eyes out. You know, avoid the, the temptation to, to internalise or turn inwards. Because if you do, you will lose sight of the main thing. You will lose sight of the big picture. And here it is. God is good. God has a plan for you. God is at work in your life. And in the end, the lamb wins. Don't lose sight of the bigger picture and get sucked into details. Number three, this point could be in every single message and probably is, in which case I apologise now, just switch off the next couple minutes. Philippians 4 verse 8, the, 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 the point is keep a guard on your mind. Keep a guard on your mind. Philippians 4 verse 8, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, you've got to read the rest of the chapter really to fully get the nuance of this. But, but, but we all know that the battleground is in our own minds, right? And do you know what? We know the theory. Oh, I know the theory. But it's so much harder in practice. But, but eventually, our lives and our words and our attitudes, our emotions, our behaviours will reflect what we allow to fill our minds. That's why Philippians 4 verse 8, again the Amplified says, think on and weigh and take account of these things. Fix your mind on these things. You know, and that's going to take some mental discipline. Remember those verses in Joshua chapter 1. Re- read through Psalm 119, which talks about meditating on the word of God and filling yourself with his thoughts and posting scripture on the doorposts and the gateposts and the mirror and around your house. Why? Because we all tend to forget. So as Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 8, he says, think about what's true. Learn to reject the lies. You know what they are. As Paul says, think about what is right. Don't let your fantasy world lead you up the garden path into all sorts of nonsense. Think about what's right. Think about what's lovely and not ugly. Think about what's pure, not corrupt. Think about what's admirable, not irritating. Think about what's excellent, not flawed. Think about anything that's praiseworthy. And if you look out for it, I can guarantee you, it's there. Do you know what? We all need that word filter over our thoughts. It, it protects us from what, what they call distortional thinking, which means it helps us to, to stop filtering out all the positive or, or it, it stops us unhealthily magnifying all the negative. And if you do either of those things, you will find yourself eventually at the bottom of that pit. I'll close with this thought. Meditating on God's word will, in word will inevitably fill you with hope. And you know, you'll begin to change your expectation. 
you'll start to be considerably more encouraged. And the next thing you know, you and, and we and all of us will be positively positive. And believe you me, that's a culture where all sorts of good things grow. I'd like to invite the worship team to, to come up, if they don't mind. I'm going to pray. Please stand. Opportunity to stretch your legs if you're able. Thank you for listening patiently and kindly and not throwing anything at me. At least if you did, you missed by so much I didn't even notice. And uh, let's pray. And then we'll respond. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the light of the world. Thank you, Lord, that you came to give us and fill us with hope and peace and joy. And the picture, once again, is you fill us up as we come to you and drink. And out of our belly shall flow, shall overflow living hope. Father, I pray for every single person in this room today whatever they're dealing with, facing, wherever they've been, Lord, would you fill them with hope and encouragement and expectation today. If they do that, they can change the whole atmosphere around them. And help us, Lord, as we continue to till the soil here, to be positively positive. Lord, I want people to walk through these doors to know and recognize immediately that we have a hope and that his name is Jesus. And with a God like that, why shouldn't we be positive and expectant and hopeful? Come do it, Lord. Come build the culture in this place, in our lives that you long for and that you need to do what you desire to do amongst us. In Jesus' name. <laughs>